Hello, everyone, and welcome to On Crime and Punishment, a podcast from the Center for Criminological Research. This is a brand new podcast that we're starting. We'll be releasing approximately once a month. So do go into the Apple Store and into Google Podcasts or anywhere else that you get your podcasts and subscribe. And don't forget to like our videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel for all of the most current content from the CCR. Today, Ashley Cole will be speaking with Dr. Timmy Tope Oriola on his reflections on the Derek Chauvin trial that just concluded in Minneapolis in the US and the implications of that trial for the trial by jury system that has been used in most Western democracies now for you know a couple of centuries. So enjoy and again, subscribe and like. Hello, Dr. Oriola. Thank you so much for joining us. You recently published an article for The Conversation, an independent news source that focuses on making accessible research and academic contributions for the wider public. In your April 20th article, you spoke about the guilty verdict in the trial of Derek Chauvin and the need for criminal justice reform. Could you speak a bit more about what finding him guilty on all charges potentially represents on a larger scale? Thank you very much for that, and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, well, um, the uh, Derek Chauvin um, trial obviously was uh, one that was closely followed globally uh, as a test for uh, the criminal justice system in the United States, uh, obviously with um, serious implications for uh, other countries, particularly countries that use the um, trial by jury system. Uh, now, and it, I find it very uh, interesting that uh, despite the overwhelming evidence, uh, there really wasn't any certainty about um, how the jury might decide, in part because any of those 12 jurors might have held um, a contrary opinion and there could have been a hung jury. Right. My point is that that in and of itself is problematic. Uh, it, because it gives room for the tyranny of a single juror. Uh, and we've right. seen over and over again uh, in fairly uh, um, spectacular cases from Eric Garner in New York uh, and a few other instances across the States and a few even here in Canada. And I recall the, the Colton Boucher uh, uh, murder trial. Um, mm-hmm. This, as you may recall, happened uh, in Saskatchewan and the verdict is was not guilty. Um, Now, these are key uh, moments that uh, put the criminal justice system in spotlight. Uh, I believe that um, Japan has devised uh, a much more robust and sophisticated way of getting around uh, that to solve that problem so that uh, a single individual does not derail um, uh, the evidence or, or the, the, what should be or an expected verdict given um, overwhelming televisual evidence. Uh, what Japan does in serious cases is to have um, about six uh, quote unquote lay judges or what we would call jurors uh, and match them with uh, or rather have them side by side with three professional judges. So instead of a single judge you have three judges. Now, a a majority of the lay judges or jurors and one professional judge uh, is all that you require to secure conviction. Uh, I believe that this is a more uh, efficacious 
in uh, and, and a fairer and more reasonable way to adjudicate uh, serious cases in society uh, than the current system. In part because the trial by jury system uh, has very historical roots. Mm -hmm. um, but I do not think it was designed for a multicultural societies. Um, now I say that in part because um, when you look at some of the evidence coming out uh, from studies upon studies, so not just the sensationalized cases and, and all of that, I'm, I'm thinking of a 2010 piece that uh, was published in the Washington Law Review, I believe the, the journal is called, uh, which looks at uh, what it calls, quote, the racial geography of the death penalty. The authors find is that even when you hold the crime constant, in other words, uh, a death penalty eligible offense following conviction, um, that whether or not the death penalty is imposed, and I'm not an advocate of the death penalty, just to be clear, um, but whether or not the death penalty is imposed is a function of A, who you are, and B, where your crime was committed. Right. Uh, and that, when you have such a clear scenario with uh, mounting decades of evidence vis-a-vis -vis how cases end up, um, uh, who gets tried and what kinds of sentences they get and all of that, and such that you can almost predict the outcome of a case by the demographics of the jurors. Now, right. I find that troubling. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that that makes a mockery of the very idea of justice. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it, interestingly, the issues uh, with the jury system are standard first year conversations in law schools in common law jurisdictions. I took one of those classes myself as a law student at the University of London International. Uh, so so these, these issues have been known for a while. Uh, what is surprising is that we soldier on, like they do not matter. Right. Uh, and yeah. the outcomes traumatize all communities. Uh, the Colton Boucher case, for instance, was um, a pivotal moment, uh, a watershed moment uh, here in Canada with the uh, the prime minister and, and the minister of justice both coming out to condemn the verdict. Uh, I, I don't think that um, such uh, um, representatives of our government would, would have said a word about it if, if they didn't feel strongly that that, that case was wrongly uh, decided. So uh, I believe that if we would adopt something similar to what Japan has done, I think we do give ourselves uh, a decent chance of ensuring uh, equal justice uh, under the law. Right, yeah, it was definitely one of the bigger criticisms is that aspect of homogeneity in the demographics of Japan compared to somewhere like the United States and Canada and how that has distinct impacts on the way our judicial system works. I mean, Japan is ethnically 98.1% Japanese. Mm -hmm. uh, but even they, you know, went ahead to recognize the limitations that a jury might have or lay judges as they like to call them and then have a panel essentially of judges um, so that when you have all judges saying no, then, then you know that there, there is an issue. Maybe right. the evidence isn't strong enough. So, so I think um, justice stands a better chance because the professional judges are individuals who, who know that their careers are at stake and that they will answer 
uh, for each of their decisions uh, in the fullness of time. Uh, and, and sometimes that's an important variable to have. Um, but in instance, and, and keep in mind, we have what is called a peremptory challenge, um, mm -hmm. where essentially the, um, the, the defense can knock off uh, jurors um, right. for any to no reason whatsoever, although there have been efforts to make changes to that now in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. and, and, and essentially, you could have a defense team, if they're well resourced, uh, you know, picking those who would decide and already having a clear sense of how things might go. Uh, again, in a, a diverse, a multicultural setting, uh, we should be uh, preventing um, such um, uh, uh, gamed outcomes in uh, serious or very controversial right. racially charged cases. Right, yeah. Recently, the US Attorney General announced that they'll be investigating the city of Minneapolis and the Minneapolis Police Department with major focuses on um, use of force, accountability, complaint intake, uh, investigation and discipline. And the DOJ also plans to actually survey community members about their experiences with the Minneapolis Police Department. How do you feel that the public will perceive this decision or has perceived this decision and the potential impacts it could have? Does this represent accountability for you? Right, so whenever you have such um, uh, investigations being set up, I understand people's um, apprehensions or, or sense like, oh, do we need another study to do this and all that. But uh, bureaucracies work in very in certain ways uh, and um, there are policy constraints um, and, and, and even legal constraints um, that, that are on the ground. So even though what they may find are things that practically everybody else knows, uh, they do need to prove and, and show the, the methodology and uh, that there was in fact a scientific study uh, and, and, and indicate their findings and so forth. And I recall that something similar was done uh, with, with Ferguson uh, mm -hmm. in 2014, uh, and that led to uh, some changes. Uh, and the Department of Justice was sort of sparing in, in its uh, deep dive into policing practices yeah. uh, where uh, over 90% of tickets and 90% uh, over 90% of user force incidents involved uh, uh, the black residents who were roughly 67% of, of the town and the conclusion of the DOJ was that policing in, in, in Ferguson was not for um, public safety it was for quote fine collection Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I think it's a welcome development. Um, as long as um, uh, the findings are implemented, uh, I have no doubts that that would happen, given um, the very uh, careful and uh, clinical uh, um, analysis of, of the Ferguson Police Department and and the changes that were then introduced as a result of that. Again, because of the incredibly decentralized nature of policing in the United States, the US has over 18,000 police departments. Uh, and so um, there has to be a documented investigation upon which you can then base any external intervention from the DOJ. It's a federal system of government and that has to be respected. Um, these police units, over 18,000 of those police departments, all uh, ranging from those like the NYPD or LAPD with thousands right. of, of two smaller you know, centers with 
six officers or four in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, they all is, 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 are somewhat autonomous, um, but there is legal provision for DOJ intervention if they are abusing human rights. And so uh, that cannot just simply go off of newspaper reports. Uh, you right. need formal investigations to have the local standi um, to intervene. So this might be a, a broad question, I guess. What would be legitimate system change in policing? What would that look like? Or more specifically, how do you see the future of community police relations in the U.S.? Well, I, I think with, um, with, with the U.S., uh, things are, um, you know, at a boil right now in many, many ways. Um, because we've now come to learn that um, a 16-year-old girl was, was shot hours before the uh, shoving um, verdict. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's been at least one other shooting uh, after that. So it, it does seem to be um, this endless cycle um, of seemingly unnecessary killings. Uh, I think at the minimum, at the minimum, there does seem to be this lackadaisical um, attitude towards human life. I, I find that troubling. Uh, yeah. These are people with families and friends and, and so forth. Um, and, and, and so that calls for um, reforms with respect to the use of force. Um, and that calls for um, a level of public engagement as well. Uh, I think that there has to be that recognition that this could happen to anyone, that there's a need to put in place concerted efforts to put an end to it. Essentially, whose son is next, whose daughter is next. Um, and and, and that's, that's the key thing. Um, and, and that has to be recognized. This is a cancer that is eating up the American society and has to be um, looked at. Within the Canadian context, thankfully, we don't have that degree um, of, of lackadaisical killings. Um, we do have our own issues, but not at the same scale. Um, I'm, I'm delighted to be part of um, uh, the initiative to by the government of Alberta to make changes to the Police Act uh, to right. ensure that um, police organizations uh, live up to their creed. Uh, mm -hmm. And the response from the community or communities uh, has been um, very positive, overwhelmingly so. Uh, we have received um, a series of recommendations from members of the public as regards the kinds of changes they wish to see. Um, I'm not at liberty, obviously, to share all of those. These are of course, really, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, confidential things, but I, but I can confirm that um, the, in the main, they deal with issues in relation to um, uh, de-escalation, uh, in relation to selection of officers, the uh, temperament and the kind of training uh, that they receive uh, and ensuring that there is a, a sync between um, the realities of 21st century policing and um, the knowledge that is acquired at the police college. Um, so, so just broadly speaking, those are some of the things we're hearing. Those are some of the things um, that I am uh, thinking about and, and um, uh, engaging about um, as special advisor on the police act review uh, to the government of Alberta. As you've mentioned, with these major cases that have occurred and continue to occur in the United States, with this increase of Black Lives Matter calls for accountability, 
you kind of spoke to this a bit, but what are the potential ripple effects in Canada, especially for Black and Indigenous populations and their calls for action? Yeah, I mean, the, and just this is where it, it gets um, more and more interesting. Uh, and that is that people are traumatized. Um, Black and Indigenous persons are traumatized by um, these videos. Uh, it's yeah. been sort of a, a, um, violence pornography um, that people are subjected to. And so individuals who in fact are not American and, and might not never have even visited the US are feeling traumatized wherever they are around the world. Uh, and there's a reason why the George Floyd killing uh, struck a nerve uh, transnationally, uh, transgenerationally and transracially because of, of what it represented, man's inhumanity to man. Um, and so, um, but what I have tried to um, make clear in my current role, and even before that, is to say that uh, Edmonton, for example, is not Minneapolis. Uh, and so the EPS is not uh, Minneapolis police, uh, that there's a need for perspective. Uh, we have our work cut out for us. We have steps we have to take, but that distinction, and it's a very hard one to, to, to take because uh, a lot of emotions are involved. Uh, people just watched in real time, uh, the live streaming of somebody's death or a replay and replay of somebody's death on YouTube. Uh, and the, the digital and permanent identities that those killings have. For a lot of Black folks, they, they don't simply just shrug and say, oh, well, stuff happens. Uh, These this yeah. killings have a profound effect uh, on people's mental health, on their well-being. It, it creates issues, even for us here in Canada, even for uh, our own officers, I believe, in terms of um, uh, people's perceptions of the police goes to the very epicenter of the fact that the police uh, are not merely an organization, they are an institution. Um, so that somebody's experience with the police uh, in Calgary or in Edmonton can shape how they per perceive police elsewhere and mm -hmm. converse what they see on TV about police in New York, uh, given the saturation of the Canadian media market by the US media, there's that tendency to sort of look at all of these police services, radically different police organizations, almost as if they're the same. That's the danger that our being so close to the US poses. Uh, and my role has been to say, no, look, we, we are not that. Uh, we have issues we have to deal with, but that's not us. Um, and, and, uh, and you can see some of the strides being made, um, community engagement by the EPS chief and so on. Clearly there's, there's been a lot of um, effort in that direction. Uh, more still needs to be done. And I believe that um, as we go on with the review, I believe that uh, we would um, have a positive result in improving police community relations in our province. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate the nuance and insight that you've given today, Dr. Oyla. It's an incredibly important conversation and hopefully contributing an impetus for real system changes. Yeah, I hope so too. And um, thank you, Ashley, for your fine work uh, with this series. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us for this first episode of our podcast on crime and punishment. 
please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be the Apple Podcast app or Google Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever. Also, please follow our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Center for Criminological Research. And follow us on Twitter at CCR underscore U of A. And we'll be bringing you a lot more content over the summer here. And we will be trying to keep abreast of all of the really important conversations going on in criminology and bringing that you know, out of the academy for anybody to hear.